Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. On the left side of my brain, I'm going, that's fine, they've bought a ticket. I had a choice of not buying the ticket. But I guess I could also go to, well, they've got more disposable income or whatever else it is. So it's unfair from a societal perspective. You get the same thing when people are getting off the plane. I've started staying in my seat until everybody has passed. We've been sitting in this plane for hours. We want to get started, even if that means crowding into the aisle. Solo weights feel longer than group weights. I think at least part of this has to do with the first item that we talked about. Groups tend to be more distracting than waiting by yourself, but it's also just more enjoyable. So last week, Ryan, you recall we did a episode on waiting and we promised everybody there would be a week's wait. That's right. Before we did another episode on we waiting. We ended in a cliffhanger. Uh, it was. So we were, really, we were really kind of exemplifying what we were teaching last week. Yes. I would like to say that all of our listeners are very important to us. They will be in another wait for 20 minutes. So... You, and this is being hear, recorded for training purposes. So you will hear the next episode of this podcast as soon as we have podcast hosts available to record <laughs> it for you. Have a look in the show notes. If you didn't listen to it last week, we were talking about the whole concept of of waiting. And I think it was a even though I say so myself, I think it was an interesting episode. The way that I was thinking about this is last week's was kind of more theory. We talked about waiting as a time cost you're imposing on your customers and then when that might be better or worse. And then this week, I think we wanted to get a little bit more practical and talk about how you can make waiting less terrible for your customers. Yeah. The reality is, is that you're going to need to make customers wait occasionally, sometimes a lot. That's not ideal, obviously. But given that customers are waiting, what strategies are there that you can deploy to, to make that waiting feel less and again, we'll stick this in the show notes, but there's a really good paper by a guy called David Meister, and he's wrote a paper called The Psychology of Waiting Lines. It's quite an old paper, but a very good paper, and I still think that it really helps people think about how can they manage things. So there are eight areas that David talks about, and we're going to take it in turns and, and talk through each one. You ready for this? Have we had enough? Have we built up enough anticipation? I've been waiting long enough. Okay. So the first one is that David's observation is that occupied time feels shorter than unoccupied time. Okay. So if you're trying to make your customers, if you're keeping them waiting for 15 minutes, say, then how can you make it not feel like 15 minutes? I mean, it's that uh, we spoke about last last week. There's one aspect of it, which is, is it worth the wait? And there's another aspect of it, which is, 
this whole area of commoditization. But if you think about this, so again, just to repeat this, occupied time is still shorter than unoccupied time. So the question becomes, how do you get your customers to feel occupied when they are waiting to talk to you? The classic example of this would be if you're in an airline's waiting lounge, then they will have the news playing. They have magazines on the waiting in a doctor's dental surgery, then they have magazines playing. If you think about, to a certain extent, you don't need it now because the natural thing that everybody does is just get their bloody phone out, basically. But I guess, are you providing internet services for people to use? Is it very simple to get on? There are doctor's offices where they have signs up saying that for medical privacy reasons, they don't want you on your phone. I've been in doctor's offices that say that. All right. Okay. So there are settings where people may not... Also, when you're waiting online on a phone queue, a lot of times it's difficult to distract yourself doing other things because you also need to be paying attention to the phone and you need to be there in case the the agent picks up. And so I've had a difficult time distracting myself sometimes in certain waiting situations because I needed to divide my attention and and partially do nothing while waiting for them to, to engage. I don't think that that we realize how aversive doing nothing is, like how painful. There was a, a fascinating study where they gave people the option of waiting in an empty room with no distractions for a period of time or receiving mildly painful electric shocks. And <laughs> people picked the shocks. People would rather be in pain than be bored. I'll tell you what they could do now, mate. Well, I just, okay, for those of you who are not watching, Colin just picked up a pair of sharp scissors to bless your with <laughs> yes, right I'm after sure. I mentioned pain. So go ahead, Colin. <laughs> I think you're just far enough away from me not to worry about it, but I don't know why I've got my scissors in my hand. But it did make me think instead of giving electric shocks, what they could now do is force people to listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that idea. I think that, yeah, if there's one thing that's even more painful than boredom. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, people really hate just not doing things. So occupy that time. Allow them to, you know, allow them to distract themselves. Everybody's got a, a smartphone now. Or even better, can you provide them with distractions that they would appreciate? I think you have to be a little creative. And, and this was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, what, what's a good example that I've thought about it recently? My eldest daughter brought her two kids over to see us in Sarasota. And when she went to, and they're six and three years old, so you can imagine waiting in an airport is not the most fun place. They had a soft play area. My daughter told me it was absolutely great because, you know, the time went past really, really fast. So... Yeah. Do you want to go next? Do you want to go with the next one? People want to get started. That's the next thing to do to manage waiting times. And we're back in airports now because last time you boarded a plane, you know, they announced that they're going to start the boarding procedure. Everybody knows that there are going to be three, four, five, ten different zones of people, different groups of people that are going to be boarding that plane. Everybody knows which zone they're in. And in what order they're going to do. And yet what happens every time is you get this crowd of people all standing right in front. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a boarding group 
And because I'm a polite person and don't elbow my way through, I end up standing beside somebody who's very clearly in line for that group. And then the whole boarding group goes and they're still standing there. And I realize that they're in the next group or two groups after. But we all want to get started. Don't you love it, though, when somebody rocks up to the desk where they check your tickets and they're boarding zone one and you're in zone one and they're in zone four and the person turns them away and you look at them and you go, why in the hell do you not just listen to the bloody instructions that are on the ticket? I I mean, I think they assume they'll be able to slip through. I don't know. But yeah, like this is this really strong impulse that like waiting is bad. But we want to get started with the waiting. <laughs> like we want to, we want to feel like there's some motion. Like feel like there's. You get the same thing when people are getting off the plane. I've started staying in my seat until everybody has passed who's desperate to get. Because like it's it's not going to be. And yet we want to. We've been sitting in this plane for hours. We want to get started, even if that means crowding into the aisle before the, the door is even fully open. Yeah, and it made me think, when I saw this, it made me think of another couple of examples. And what I would encourage the listener to think about is just when they're designing their journeys, how are you going to use these in the areas where a customer is is waiting? So a couple of other areas I think that I thought about recently. One is restaurants. When you go into a restaurant and they give you the menu, that's starting the process. They take your order for a drink, that's starting the process. Even when you turn up to a restaurant and you have to wait, they're giving you a menu and saying, okay, you know, we're, you may want to look at this in between time. That works as a distraction too. That, yes. That works for multiple yes. reasons. Yeah. Well, it also makes it feel a bit more efficient that you've started that process already. The other one I thought of the other day, which is on your Uber app, so I don't know if you've used, used uh, Uber, but looking, A, placing the order, but then seeing that the car is coming and being able to see which way it goes. The, the interesting bit is you then go, why is he turned round? Why is he gone back that way? Some of those things can cause their own problems, but that feels like, again, it's starting the process. It's a signal that they're on their way and you've not got that much longer to wait. Third one is uncertain weights are longer than known weights. So uncertain weights are longer than known weights. Again, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking actually the Uber example plays into it, doesn't it? Because I know the car is coming. Yeah. It may, again, a lot of these, because the amount I fly around the bloody place, are going to be uh, airline related. But we're on the tarmac and we're 12th in line to take off that's letting you know what's happening or we've just landed but the gate's not clear we're going to be another five minutes you're not sitting there just waiting and not knowing what's happening there was another interesting one that that had here which i think i've told you about ryan but is they did a an interesting test in a bank where the bank lines at lunchtime were very large they wanted to reduce the time when the customer would be seen So they put these clocks up and they basically said to customers, 
that if we are not seen within 10 minutes or whatever it was, then you get $5. And they measure the customer satisfaction at the beginning and they measure the customer satisfaction in the end. And despite them actually getting through the customers a lot faster, customer satisfaction declined. Mm. Why? It declined because customers suddenly felt they knew how long they were waiting. What were they doing? They were looking at the time all the time to see whether they could claim the $5 or not. Going back to one of the ones we just talked about, if people aren't occupied, if you're on your phone, then 10 minutes doesn't necessarily seem 10 minutes. It can seem like only only five minutes. So go back to it. Uncertain weights are longer than known weights. Yeah, I'm going to try to not use too many Disney examples, but they are really kind of the best in the business at this. But one of the things they do at their theme parks is they will give you these periodic notices. So from this point, the average wait time is 15 minutes or is 20 minutes. or And that provides kind of a benchmark and it gives people a sense of expectation as opposed to there are some other theme parks where you go in and it's just this winding line. And it's like, if I just committed myself to waiting a half an hour or two hours, I don't know. And that can make the wait time seem longer. Another one of these points that's in this article anxiety makes waits seem longer. So if you are ever in a situation, so this is not just uncertainty about the length of the line, this is uncertainty about something else, right? Some other kind of stressor. I think part of the reason that some people are so anxious to get into the aisle and off the plane is because they've got a connecting flight, right? And so, because I don't know, I need to wait now to get off the plane, but I know that I, you know, I need to rush across there. Like that can be very stressful and that can make that, make that weight seem interminable. Sure. Are there other stressors? You and I, I've told this story before. You and I consulted with a, a health insurer at their, their phone operation, right? Where they're getting calls from people. And I, I didn't appreciate until I listened in on some of those calls, just the tremendous stress that that company's customers were under. You don't call your health insurer unless sure. something is terribly wrong in your life, right? You've gotten a massive bill, you're dealing with medical expenses, you want to know if something's covered. Is somebody waiting in line to talk to a representative in that situation is going to be in a, a very different psychological space than somebody waiting in line to talk to their phone provider. The anxiety levels are typically going to be very different and that's going to make waiting that much harder. Yes, I totally agree. When you think here, so one of the things that we talked about last week was a way of increasing value is to build anticipation. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you don't want to build anxiety, but you do want to build, or if one way of justifying the weight is to try to increase the value of what you're going to get and therefore building anticipation can be one of those ways, can't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Anticipation usually has a positive outcome. Anxiety, usually we're worried more about a negative outcome. So that might be one important distinction. Yeah. Let me give you another one of these. And, and this, I guess, only goes to show for me that these, as we've said with many other things, are not sort of mutually exclusive. Yeah. Okay. So what do I mean by that? So this is unexplained weights are longer than explained weights. So if I go back to my last one, uncertain weights are longer than known weights. Yeah. It ties together, basically. Yeah. And more than one thing can be happening because if you've got an unexplained weight, then guess what? That causes anxiety as well. 
So there can be multiple things that are happening here. I'm remembering the experience of a car trip where you're speeding down the highway and then all of a sudden you get stopped in traffic. And there's a huge psychological difference between knowing, oh, this is caused by an accident that's two miles ahead. And so therefore I've got some idea of why this is happening and, and, and how I'm going to get through it versus the traffic has just stopped and you have no idea. Like, is it, is it construction? Is it an accident? Is this normal rush hour for this part of the country? Like, I just, I don't know what it is. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't. So having some explanation for why you have to wait at this point in time, it does, it makes it easier. It did make you, when, we, when you said that about the car, you know what, the first thing that crossed my mind is the classic kids who turn around and say, are we there yet? Yeah. And, you know, being a parent, we all know that that can be very annoying, actually. But also being a parent, you know that you go, okay, how can I distract them? Let's play I Spy. Let's play a game or whatever it is. So it's interesting that some of these things that you're doing sort of naturally. Yeah. You know you need to distract your kids. I, I think that that one also goes to, to some of the earlier ones that we've talked about. Kids have a really bad perceptions of, of time. It's hard for them to track it. And so for an adult, you might know, oh, this is a one-hour car trip. But because kids have a harder time grasping what an hour is and understanding that, for them, all weights are unknown time weights, right? So one of the earlier principles was, was a, a finite weight is, is less than or is, is more palatable than an unknown, uncertain weight. For kids, I think all weights are uncertain weights. Like you just, you tell them five minutes, but they don't know what five minutes means. And so all weights are just variable in that way that's very unpleasant. Again, it goes back to what we were talking about last week. And if you haven't listened to that show, then I would encourage you to do it. We'll put a link in the show notes. And that is, if you go back to the one you were just talking about, which was around anxiety, again, it depends upon the value that you're plating on the product or service or whatever it is that you're trying to get through. So again, I can think of things that I've ordered on Amazon that I couldn't care less when they're delivered on. And I could think of some things that I am really keen to get that because I'm doing something or whatever it may be that ties into it. So Colin, I've got a pickle. Have you recorded it? Because I only deal with pickles that are recorded. Well, that's the issue I want to address. My pickle is I'm tired of talking. I want to let our <laughs> listeners talk for a change. Great, because we've absolutely got the facility for them to do that now. All they need to do is to go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash pickle. Hit the big red button and then they'll appear on the show. That's perfect. I'm going to go take a nap. Do you want to go through the next one? Unfair weights are longer than equitable weights. This is a great one. This Again, we encourage people to read the article. It's a, it's a great list. We are hardwired for perceptions of fairness. Like it, it is so deeply rooted. It comes out very early in childhood development. You can see it in the behavior of animals, how they react to being treated unfairly. There's, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but there's this great video of a primate researcher who's got two monkeys in a cage 
uh, in two different cages. And they train the monkeys to do these tasks for which they get a payment. So it's a simple thing. Like I'll hand the monkey a, a stone. The monkey will then hand it back to me through a different hole in the cage. And then I'll Oh, pay yes. Them. I've seen this one. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the researcher pays the monkey in, in cucumber slices, which is a fair payment for that. And then the monkey sees the next cage over. That monkey's being paid in grapes for the same action. And the cucumber monkey goes completely crazy. Like starts shaking the cage, throws the next cucumber back at the researcher like I don't want. And it's it's fairness. It's The monkey feels like it's being treated unfairly relative to this other monkey. So anytime you've got perceptions of fairness playing into this, it's going to make everything worse if people feel like they're being treated unfairly, including wait times. So like if, if you've got somebody like speeding, a rich person speeding through the weight because they're fancy and can pay more. And that feels inequitable to you. That feels unfair. That's going to make your weight that much more painful. That is, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because my mind immediately goes to Disney. Okay. The fast pass. And it also goes to airplanes again, unfortunately. Here we are all of the, I'm diamond medallion on Delta. So I get on the plane first. And I often think to myself, and I've often, if I've been in a Disney queue, and I've thought, yeah, I wonder what people are thinking as you sort of speed past them. When you then start talking about fairness. So on the left side of my brain, I'm going, that's fine. They've bought a ticket. I had a choice of not buying the ticket. But I guess I could also go to, well, they've got more disposable income or whatever else it is. So it's unfair from a societal perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that nuance is correct. Like, I don't think it's a clear black and white issue here. I mean, people realize that if you pay more for something, you get more for it. And that's its own kind of fairness. But also what you said is true where... People recognize that some people have more money to spend and maybe they hadn't earned that as much. Disney used to do something really smart from a fairness perspective, which was you could you could upgrade to this fast pass um, and pay more for it. But also with every basic ticket, everyone got, I think, up to like three fast pass allocations or something like that. So to a certain extent, under that regime, you didn't know whether the person who was passing you in the fast pass lane had paid to, for that privilege, or they were just using one of the three um, allocations that everybody who was in the park that day got. So I think that that dramatically reduced perceptions of fairness. Now, interestingly, Disney has, as I understand it, moved away from that to now where everybody has to pay more to get access to these things. Yeah, no, no, that I, I, I went there recently and, it, and everyone has to pay. But they've gotten backlash on fairness for that. So I think that they've, they're dealing with some of that. In the UK at the moment, the National Health Service, because of COVID, okay, has got big waiting lists for elective surgery and normal procedures, okay? I could make an argument that says... So one of the ways that the NHS could get more money in is by letting people jump the queue, yeah? I know 
I'm sure someone's thought about that, okay? And I'm sure they've absolutely rejected it because of the backlash that that would cause, the perceived unfairness of somebody that's got more money than somebody else that's got a hip replacement or something. There's got to be a number of those examples. But as you're designing your experience, I think that's certainly one to to think about. And if my memory serves me correctly, when Disney first introduced the Fast Pass, and this may be just my perception, but they built the Fast Pass line in a different place, probably for this reason. Yep. You enter, as I recall, you enter and then immediately separate. Yeah. And now you see, that's another interesting one because when you get off a, if I go on an international flight back and forth to the States, as I do all the bloody time, then if you're in business class, you get off first and the stewardesses stand in front of the queues of the aisleways to allow business class to get off first okay which is great when i'm flying business not so great when i'm not (laughs) yeah but again when i look at that i go yeah but you've paid eight grand to sit in that chair so that's actually fair enough you know maybe it's to do with you having the choice i mean maybe we need to do an episode on fairness because it it is more complex than just somebody else getting something better than I get. That's a part of it. But then there's perceptions of whether it was earned or not, whether it was a choice or not, whether it was an option for everyone or not. It's not a simple calculus. The other one I think is here, which is again, another interesting one. I think you know that unfortunately, my granddaughter, one of my granddaughters has just been diagnosed with this rare genetic condition. Okay. And I sort of hesitate with using the word disabled, okay? But it then makes you think of the interesting bit is that there may be things that she gets or jumps cues on. Right. But she doesn't look disabled. She's mentally disabled. I don't know if I even like saying those words, actually. But you get the idea. It's interesting because when you then talk about fairness, it goes back to that phrase, I don't know if you use it in the States, but some disabilities are not visual. So, you know, it's not like she's in a wheelchair or something like that. But it's whether, again, that would affect people's perception of fairness. Let's go on to the next one. The more valuable the service, the longer the customer will wait. That really just talks about what we were just talked about yeah that was the major theme of our last episode and there is this sort of are you in a commoditized service are you prepared to wait for that if you're in a commoditized service i would suggest people are not prepared to wait for things or mark you down on customer experience clearly people wait still a long time but the perception of whether that's fair and whether that's the right thing to do is a different kettle of fish and do you want to do the last one number eight Solo weights feel longer than group weights. I think at least part of this has to do with the first item that we talked about. Groups tend to be more distracting than waiting by yourself, but it's also just more enjoyable. You tend to be around. And then I think there's also a fairness component to it as well. If you feel like you are the only one being singled out for a weight, as opposed to if you're waiting in a group. So I I think this one is an important one. I think it also touches on several that we've already talked about. The interesting one that I thought of from the other perspective, though, 
is sort of the herd instinct of someone saying, we shouldn't be waiting this long. Yeah. <laughs> when you're going out for a meal and you're sitting there and you're waiting for your food and then somebody says, this is taking a long time. And then suddenly everybody jumps in on that. I find that it can actually get worse because you're in a group, because everybody piles on with what that one person has said. And sometimes you go, it's not really that long. But you've got 75% of the group going, actually, this is, I'm waiting far too long here. I'm sitting there going, well, it's not really that long. I'm not that upset about it. From a designing customer experience standpoint, encouraging people to wait in groups, particularly with friends, is a good idea. But to your point, if you are managing it in such a way that you're actually just encouraging a riot by getting people <laughs> to wait in groups, like that's that's not true. I think all of these rules will have exceptions to them. And I think that, that you point out a good one. I think groups are also more likely to turn on you in mass than a bunch of individuals would be. Yes. And it's actually interesting, actually, because if I think of our group of friends or one of the groups of friends here, we've got one person who is notoriously a complainer. And yet you still get invited to that group. <laughs> well, they're normally complaining about me for some oh. reason. But, <laughs> but the point is, because I was thinking as you were talking about, well, is this a matter of segmentation? There are clearly people with more of a high tolerance level of, of waiting and some that are intolerant. We're probably getting too complicated now, so. We hope that's been of use. Let me run through those one last time. Uh, we will put a link in the show notes to the paper. But occupied time, number one, is occupied times feel shorter than unoccupied time. Two, people want to get started. In other words, they want you to start the process. Uncertain weights are longer than known weights or finite weights. Anxiety makes weight seems longer is number four. Number five, unexplained weights are longer than explained weights. Number six, unfair weights are longer than equitable weights. Number seven, the more value the service, the longer the customer will wait. And number eight, solo weights feel longer than group weights. So as you're designing your customer experience, think of those and think of how you're going to build something to manage your weights into your overall experience. And we hope that that helps. And well done to David for coming up with those. I think they're great. Yeah. Good. Okay, everybody. We look forward to talking to you next week and we'll say the same joke as Ryan used next week, which is you, you can just wait for another week. There you go. Maybe this is where different listeners will start to say, is it a week yet? Is it, are we there yet? Yeah, I don't know that anybody's going to be waiting for more from us after, after that call. <laughs> You're probably right, mate. Okay, everyone. See ya. Talk to you next week. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.